Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Aaron McMillan opens the Scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 10, I hope you have already come to realize how relevant this text is for us today. This is not just about encouraging a group of Jewish Christians to stick with Jesus over the law. It speaks to the very core of the gospel. I imagine those believers were stuck in a position, though, of asking, where do we go from here? If we can't go back to the temple, but we're getting persecuted, like, where do we go from here? And today, some of us may be asking that same question. We've been hearing about the church, how Jesus is building it, how it's a body and a building and a bride. But really, what now? Where do we go from here? We've already seen the first of three imperatives. I'm going to back up and just read the whole uh, 19 through 25 to get our heads around the context here before we begin. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray as we begin. Dear Lord, help focus our minds, open our hearts to your word, help us see how you want us to respond to these deep and rich theological truths about you and your Son accomplishing our salvation. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So the first imperative is found in verse 22. Let us draw near, to continually draw near to God, to take advantage of our access to God, to remain wholly dependent on Him. But the next imperative shifts our focus more to our present circumstances addresses how are we to respond to the things that are happening all around us. And this is verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Second imperative, let us hold fast. Hold fast. This is again where our theology of the church doesn't just stay in our head, but starts to apply in our everyday lives. What do we do? when we're tempted to give up? What do we do when we're facing trials and suffering? What do we do when we look at the world around us and think there might be a better, easier way? We hold fast to the confession of our hope. Well, what is the confession of our hope? And if you read this verse carefully, we see that the confession of our hope is identified actually as a promise, and that he who promised it is faithful. Our hope, the confession of our hope, is rooted in a promise that was given by one who is faithful. So what's the promise? Well, the promise is everything he just talked about in verses 19 through 21. The promise is the gospel. The promise is that God is building his church, that he has bought his church, 
that he is making us a royal priesthood, that he calls us sons and daughters, co-heirs and citizens of the kingdom of God. It is the promise that he has fulfilled the law, defeated the serpent, purchased our redemption, paid our penalty, promises us eternity. It's the promise that he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion in that day. This is the confession that we are, we are to hold on to. It is simply the gospel. How Moeller puts it this way, Jesus is Lord and Jesus saves. We believe that Jesus saves sinners and we are sinners in need of saving. And the good news of this gospel is that we can hold fast to this confession because it is grounded in holding fast to Christ. Not ourselves, not our own efforts, not our own merits. The confession that we are called to hold fast is simply this. You are being held by Christ and nothing else. And Christ, he who is promised, is faithful. He who promised is faithful. We can have confidence. The writer of Hebrews is telling these Christians who are questioning their future, you don't have to have assurance in yourself. Your assurance rests in Christ, the one who promised that you will persevere. Because God does not abandon his children. Because God has proved faithful to his promises. Because Jesus was faithful even to the cross, knowing that in doing so he would secure those who would believe in him. And so when life seems too hard, when we're tempted to give up, when we don't understand what's going on around us, we look to Jesus. Because we've often sung, he will hold me fast. But don't let this hope just be an intellectual assent. This hope is meant to change us and empower us for living, for doing the Christian life. Our hope should empower us to endure suffering while praising God. Our hope should embolden us to proclaim the gospel to a lost and hurting world. Our hope should produce a tangible and hopefully contagious attitude of satisfaction and joy in Christ. Our hope should give us purpose in even the mundane, everyday tasks of life. As we'll see in just a moment, our hope should unite us as a church. There is another secondary, though crucial, source of strength for the believer that has been implied twice so far, but will be made even more clear in our last two verses. But I want to point them out now. Do you notice who the imperatives have been addressed to? This is not to an individual. It's not to you. It's not to me. It's not to Timothy or Titus or Paul or any other singular person. It's not even to a particular church. It's to us. There's an us in view here. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Well, who is the us? We are the us. The people who received this letter at that time were the us. 
The church is the us, and while this is certainly true of the universal church, there are aspects of these imperatives that can only be worked out in a local context. And so I won't belabor the point too hard, but this is why I think you all should join the Chapel of the Lake as an official member. (laughs) If you haven't already. By becoming a member of the chapel, you are saying that you have indeed drawn near to God through Christ. That you're holding fast to the confession of our faith, the gospel. That Jesus is Lord and Jesus saves. It also says that if we get a letter and it's addressed to us, that you're one of us. You're committed to being one of us who are seeking to live out these ideals day by day. We're not called to live the Christian life alone. We are expected to do this together. In our low-commitment culture, I think it means something when we make a commitment to a local body of believers. I know this is true because of what comes next. And regardless whether or not you're a member, a regular attender, a first-time visitor, we still have to deal with these next two verses. And it applies to every believer, everywhere, in all places, at all times. Verses 24 and 25 which will give us our last imperative that's got a few parts. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is the last imperative? Here you go with a couple different things. We're going to go with, let us consider one another. Let us consider one another. Well, what does that look like? So we walk through just these two verses. There's four aspects describing our interactions with others in the body. What does it look like to consider one another? Well, first of all, it looks like considering one another. And it may sound simple or even silly, but it's where it starts. Look around the room. How many of these people did you think of before you came here today? Because this is what he's saying. The word for consider here means to fix one's eyes or mind upon. The idea is to think about something very carefully or considering closely. And what does he say we're supposed to consider? One another. Who's the other? Well, that's the us. And I would say that you're part of the us if you're here this morning or connected to our church. We're not just supposed to know that the church is a body, a building, and a bride. We're supposed to know the church. We're supposed to know the us. To know and consider the people who make up the body is to think carefully about them. Is to consider them. And I know it kind of sounds strange, especially in our individualistic, independent-minded culture that we live in. It's anti-me for sure. But this is what sets the church apart from the world. It's what should make us look different and attractive to the outside world. That when people show up, we care. We considered. We've thought about them. That's what this verse, is word even, is pointing to. We are to consider one another. Last weekend, Elder Deacon Retreat, Basically a long work day. Elders and deacons get together. We are challenged to go through the directory and go through name by name, line by line. And just ask yourself, how well do you know this person? Do you know them at all? 
Do you know them really well? And if you haven't noticed, there's kind of a lot of people around here. There's another service that's even got even more people than this service, typically. That's a lot of people. And so the point wasn't to guilt people into finding out how many people you don't know. But the point of the exercise was to say, well, who do you know? How many people know you? And if we're supposed to be considering one another, not to mention the more than 50 other one another's in the New Testament, then we ought to be working to get to know each other. How can we consider those who we don't know? And so if we happen to get out a few minutes early today, this is something you could practice today. Crazy thought. Don't run that way at the end. Look around. Maybe there's someone you haven't met. Introduce yourself. Maybe you know everybody in here, but you don't know them that well. Could you go to lunch? Could you set up a dinner this week? I don't know. But I know you can consider it to think carefully about it. How much does the us matter at the Chapel of the Lake? But it doesn't stop there. We are to consider how to stir up one another. And if you thought considering was a stretch, like thinking carefully about other people in this room, well, stir up isn't going to be any better. This, this word stir up or, or stimulate, it really comes from a word like to sharpen. And the idea is that you're jabbing somebody so you make a move. Physicians would use this word to talk about a fever that came on somebody and started to shake them and shake the bed. It was that violent. That's the motion, and sometimes it's used in a negative sense, but here it's a positive one, because we're supposed to stir up one another. To do what? To love and good works. And what that tells me, maybe because I'm a little pessimistic at times, is that we might have to make some people uncomfortable, that I might have to be uncomfortable when it comes to loving And doing good works. And that leads me to say something that may shock you. Prepare yourself. What these like six words so far in this verse tells me is that church is not about you. That's what it says. You're to consider one another, stir up one another to do what? Love and good works. It says nothing about preferences or style or pleasure or your comfort at all. It's about one another. So you're included. You don't feel bad. You're included, but it is about one another. But notice also, it doesn't say pastors, elders, deacons stir up the congregation. It's the job of the one another's. So yes, the pastors and the elders and the deacons should be doing it, but as a one another. As just though this is a condition of the us. Being together, being committed to Christ. This is a job for everyone. We are called to encourage, even poke at times. To help people, not harm them, towards love and good works. We are to consider And stir up people to figure out what it means to draw near to God. To hold fast fast to our confession. To love and good works. And it may sound 
maybe overwhelming. Oh, this is all my job? I thought I was just coming to listen to a Bible teaching. Now I have all this stuff to do. And it it can be. But if I step back just for a moment, I I think it really should be seen as a blessing. Okay, let let me give you a few examples of what I mean. Have you ever been discouraged or wavering in your faith? You know what you need? A fellow member of the church to come alongside you and remind you of your confession that is grounded in the word of God. That we have confidence in Christ. Have you ever been tempted to escape by, take the easy way out when it comes to loving that certain person? You know what you need? You need a fellow member to come alongside of you and say, hey, you remember how much Christ loves you? That should compel us to move towards people and not away from them. You ever doubted your ability to draw near to God? You know what you need? A fellow member of the church to come alongside you and remind you, no, it's about Jesus. His ability, not yours. You don't need a church service or a pastor or an elder in this context. But you do need one another. You need another who can remind you of the better way found in Jesus. And we should be glad that it's just not limited to a few select people amongst us. It's the one and others. It's everybody. But there's one more implication in that. That means you're also supposed to be that one another for someone else. We're supposed to be looking to be that other for someone else to consider, to think carefully about those who we fellowship with. And so maybe it looks like praying for our church members. Get on the prayer train. Pray through the directory. Set an example. Serving the body. Simply being present with someone who is hurting. There's, like I said earlier, more than 50 one another commands in the New Testament alone. All practical ways. You don't have to do all of them today. But consider it. Consider one another. This brings us to the next aspect of what it means to consider one another. Well, we ought to meet with one another. The beginning of verse 25 says, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So as we've said, what we know throughout this book is this community was experiencing reproach and affliction. The world around them had caused them to retreat from the gathered church. And although I'm not sure that many in our, us, where our society have experienced true affliction from the outside world, we definitely live in a day that gathering with the church body has dwindled in importance. The enemy is certainly still waging war against the church. You can see it evidenced all around us. We see the culture degrading, Christians being mocked, churches dwindling. I don't think that's our greatest enemy. I'm afraid our greatest enemy is simply our luxury where we've lost the sight of the importance of the gathered church and instead have chose recreation and vacation and sports and hobbies and work or simply the comfort of our own beds to fill my time. So you might be wondering, well, is this verse talking about the importance of going to church on Sunday morning? You're like, yes, I'm here. A plus. Check. 
actually, specifically, no, I don't think it is talking about the Sunday morning church service. And I think it's talking about a deeper issue, which is the value we place on fellowship with other believers. Now, do I think church attendance is important? Kind of obvious, right? Yes, of course I do. Of course I think church attendance is important. Because it's one of the primary means that we have to receive the Word of God, to share in communion together, to encourage one another in our walk. It's basically the place we get to do all the things that we've been talking about here this morning. But the church service should be the starting point for our fellowship. The gathering of the church should be the starting point for our fellowship, not the extent of it. I'm not sure that we can replace the early church that gathered in homes every day. Earlier in Hebrews, he said we're to exhort each other every day. There's a few other everyday commands in the New Testament. I don't know in our culture in our day how realistic that is, but I do know that these verses are telling us that we have to go deeper than just smiles and handshakes on Sunday mornings. To think that you can live the Christian life alone is foolish. It's not only foolish, it's contrary to everything that Jesus and the New Testament writers say about the church. Just look at how the church is described over and over and over again. We just spent four weeks going through four of the ways, and there's more. Yeah, you can go listen to better sermons online. You can listen to worship music in your car and in your home. You're going to run into imperfect people here. And you'll probably be more comfortable if you stay home. I won't argue with that. But it's also true that if you neglect gathering with other believers, you'll never experience the true fellowship that Christ intends for his church. We're not going to take attendance. There's reasons people miss church. That's not what this is about. It's not about attendance or checking boxes. How much do you value fellowship with believers? We should be meeting with each other, caring for each other, all of these things. We, we cannot do this if we're not together, if the us doesn't ever come together. This should be the launch pad for our fellowship, not the resting pad. So this is why we encourage you not to just show up on a Sunday morning, join a Sunday school class, join a home group, attend the chapel connection stuff, invite someone over to your house for lunch, or start a Bible study. It's not just because it's for you. It's because ultimately this is how the mission is fulfilled. Through everyday Christians, doing everyday things, all the while stirring up one another in love and good works. You don't have to do all the things. But our text is clear. We need to be in fellowship with other believers. Well, how many? I don't know, but it's probably one more. There's one more aspect, what it means to consider here. It says encourage one another. And I think that we've already get the gist, encouraging one another, stirring up one another, considering one another. The emphasis here is less on the encouraging and more on the urgency. Okay, It says, but encouraging one another. Why? And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the day? Well, it could be the day of the Lord. Judgment talked about in the Old Testament. It could be the day of Christ when Jesus comes back for his believers. It could be the day that judgment came and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. So which day is it? 
don't know. I don't. I have opinions. I don't think it matters. Because there's implications for all of, all of the above. Okay? For believers, no matter what, it's a call to perseverance. Whether that's because this, this Jewish audience is going to see the temple come crashing down in judgment, they're going to need perseverance. Whether it's going to be believers who are persevering to the end when he returns for his bride, then so be it. The call for believers is going to be the same. No matter what day it is, persevere. And we persevere not in our own efforts, but as we trust in Christ. We persevere in, as we encourage and help others to run their race well, so that they might hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And whether it was the urgent call of the church before 70 AD, or the urgent call of judgment that is, awaits all who do not know Jesus, there's still the same application applies. There's an urgent call to the church to warn those who do not know Christ and to strive through love and good works to show them the hope that we have in the gospel. So where do we go here? That's it. Draw near to God. Let us not forget the finished work of Christ. Let us hold fast to our confession. Let us not waver in our faith. Let us consider one another. And so let us not neglect to gather together. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray maybe extended because we're done so early that Rob doesn't believe it. But remember, this is an opportunity to consider one another. Take advantage of the 25 minutes we have to go before Sunday school. Or come to Sunday school. If you want to hear me keep talking, I'm going, I'll be in the fellowship hall. Uh, we're talking about a sermon of Peter in Acts 3. It's going to be exciting. Come to Sunday school if you've never been. Consider. Consider it. Let me pray. Dear Lord, help us hold on to these truths. Help us know these truths deeply. Help us draw near to you even when we don't feel like we can. Help us draw near to you when we feel like we can't. When we're not feeling that we're good enough. Help us consider the us that's represented here in this room others who will come later today, others who will interact with in just a moment or during Sunday school or through this week, help us consider each other, that we might help and set an example and encourage them to draw near to you, to hold fast to our confession, to let the gospel shape our lives so that the world might see the difference that you make through your son Jesus. And it's in his, it's in his name we pray. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with Him this week.